Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Deacon Turk and Disney, where we talk about, where we take a deep dive into the making, origin, and lasting impact of Disney films. I'm Tori. I'm Erin. I'm Mia. And I'm DeCoria. And this week we'll be taking a look into the Disney 1961 animated film 101 Dalmatians. But before we get into the uh, recap, the review, the adaptations and critiques of this movie. We want to thank you guys for listening to Commented. We always appreciate it. We had another great month here. And, you know, we just love to hear you guys' feedback. You can come join us on Discord or just give us a little five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It lets us know that you're listening and it uh, encourages us to continue with all this good content. And as always, make sure you drink your water and your sunscreen Yes, you two black person who's listening to this. And wear a mask because we are still in the middle of a plague and monkeypox might be a thing. <laughs> I guess we'll get into that on our next general episode. But today we are looking at uh, Disney's Buena Vista distributed uh, 1961, 79 minutes, United States, uh, I guess, um, incorporated, not incorporated, based, <laughs> a film directed by Clyde Geron- mm. Geronimi. That is not how you pronounce that. It's probably Italian, my bad. Hamilton Luke's Wolfgang Redman, a story by Bill Pete, based on the, 100, the 101 Dalmatians by Dodie Smith, uh, produced by Walt Disney. Uh, it is, um, the budget for this movie was $3.6 million. And then it grossed box office of three oh three million. But I looked at the numbers and it said when you uh uh, uh adjust for inflation, it's nine hundred and nine million dollars. Okay. So she did good. Uh to the crew, is this your first time watching the original one hundred and one Dalmatian? I think it is for me. First time mm. watching. Mm. Okay. What about you, Corey? Um, I know for sure that I have seen the animated one, but I think I've only seen it maybe like once or twice. And I've seen the mm-hmm. live action one like maybe like fifty times because I used to watch it a lot as a kid. <laughs> okay. What about you, Nia? I don't think I'd ever seen the original animated. I remember seeing mm. the live action once, um, with Glenn mm. Close, but that's it. I don't really feel like one hundred and one Dalmatians was a part of my childhood much what about you tori i have definitely seen it i definitely packed the dvd and the vhs in a box downstairs um my mother was definitely making sure i you know was disney was one of the only things i watched um but i probably have like Corey watched the live action more than i have the original but i've definitely seen the original like at least five a handful of times so for those of you who don't know, 101 Dalmatians is a 1961 American animated adventure comedy film produced by Walt Disney Productions. Um, it is tells the story of Pongo. I was about to call him Ponyo. And that is a... Did that Studio Ghibli? I don't know. It is. That, it is. <laughs> I was about to call him Ponyo. Pongo and his pet, Roger Radcliffe, and the story of how they meet their loves of their lives and then have a big litter of kids and they fight the iconic villain, Miss Cruella DeVille. So let's just go ahead and jump into the recap, shall we? Um, the story opens with a narration about living in London and England and being in a bachelor life. And at first we think this is Roger Radcliffe himself talking to us, but we don't. It is Pongo, his Dalmatian, who talks about his pet, Roger Radcliffe, who's a musician, who's a bachelor, who lives in a very messy bachelor pad in London, England. And um, if it was left up to him, the man would be single for the rest of his life. You know, um, companionship is not for everyone. Long-term relationships are also not for everyone. I feel like a lot of us are afraid of commitment and that's okay. Um, well, no, it's not, but still. Uh, Pongo is just like, you know what? I can't, we, you know, I can't let my pet, he calls Roger his pet, which is interesting. Um, uh, just you know live his life um 
alone. That's not good for him. So Pongo takes it upon himself to find a uh, mate for his pet Roger. And, you know, even though he's not confident in the beauty of humans, he, you know, looks out the window and they're showing you that whole thing of how their dogs, like they're humans, which is I always find funny because my dog is two feet off the ground and I'm six foot tall. (laughs) So that's always funny to me. But you know, the dogs are like the humans and he sees a woman walking a Dalmatian. He's like, oh, we got to go. They're going to the park. This is perfect. Um, And so, and so Pongo urges Roger to take him to the park to go meet um this woman and her dog so they're walking through the park pongo thinks they've missed them they find them sitting at a bench looking at a lake she's reading her book and um and you know uh roger you know pongo's like if i leave this up to roger he's just gonna sit here on the lake front and puff his pipe and nothing's gonna happen so pongo snatches the hat from his owner he plays around with it he puts the hat on the bench um when doing so he got a little noisy and it kind of bothered um anita and her dog mm, perdita perdita that's a name for a dog <laughs> um perdita and they walk away and pongo's like oh we can't have that so pongo basically chases after them he wraps his leash around anita and roger they fall into the pond and it's you know love after that babe everything's in the back so um you know Anita and Perdita move in with Roger and Pongo. Um, they get married. Well, they get married in this cute little wedding scene. The the people get married inside the, the chapel. The dogs get married outside the chapel. It's very adorable. They're living in this little small townhouse. Roger's trying to make it big. He's, you know, um, he's creating this song. Perdita is like, I think she's like a writer or something. I don't know what she does but they have a nanny um and she takes care of the house i don't know how they can afford a nanny which makes me believe that perdita um does make some bucks somewhere um not perdita anita makes some bucks somewhere but we find out perdita is pregnant um and so they're gonna have puppies soon and as they're talking we get this wild ass car just pulls up in a very loud way and a knock 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 on the door and it is Anita's uh, spoiled and fur-obsessed former schoolmate, Miss Cruella DeVille. Now, when she came on screen, I was like, I don't remember her looking that scary (laughs) from when I was younger. She's got a very interesting angular face mixed with a thinness that is, like, covered up by this giant-ass fur coat. I don't know what fur that is. It might be fox, but I feel like... um Yeezman an alternate universe that's what that's exactly what that is yeah. oh my god <laughs> she does remind me of Yizma. it's like if Yizma was like living in the 60s of yeah. course mm-hmm. <laughs> that's exactly what it is but yeah i don't know what fur that is she's wearing baby but she's wearing it and she's coming in my house smoking oh i hate it um but she's obsessed. She wants to see the puppies. Where are the puppies? Um, um, you know, and you know, Anita and Roger are like, Well, the puppies are not gonna be born for a few more weeks. And well, Corolla's like, Well, I'll be back. You know, she tries to like the minute she pulls up, my girl Perdita said, Absolutely not, runs into the kitchen and hides under the stove. And I'm like, I hear you, babe. She's weird. Um, especially when she tried to just like to pet Pongo and he's like growling at her i was like yeah i i don't i question do you guys trust dogs instincts over people instincts um i've never had a dog so i can't say but i've heard that they have good instincts Mm -hmm. what about you Corey? uh it depends my dog sometimes bark at like bark at nothing (laughs) right so it's like Honestly, my dog is smart, but he ain't that smart or that aware of anything. I feel like dogs who have been trained to be aware of stuff mm-hmm. are very aware of it. I feel like bigger dogs are also very good with it. Little dogs will bark at anything. So, <laughs> um, but yes. So, um, when well, here's the thing. While uh, Cruella was pulling up, Roger finally gets inspiration for his song, Cruella de Vil. And when I say this song has been stuck in my memory for forever, um, that's how great of a song I think it was. Um, so 
they uh after Cruella leaves, uh they uh, you know, they do kind of like a time jump and in the next few weeks, pretty to goes into labor. Pongo standing in front of the door. Roger's nervously smoking his pipe. They're just waiting for any news. Nanny comes in to get a towel. She goes back out, and it's so quiet. And then she comes back and screams. Their puppies are being born. The puppies are being born. At first, it's eight, and then it's ten, and then it's <laughs> and then it's like fourteen, and then like oh no, it's fifteen. And you just see like the reaction for Pongo being like he was happy at eight. That's usually I think that's the normal amount for little puppies is like eight or ten. When it got to like thirteen, my man, his eyes went you know a little buggy. He was like fifteen kids, damn. Um, so it says fifteen, but then Nanny comes out with a little um puppy wrapped in a towel. She's like fourteen. Uh, I think we've lost one. And so Roger and Pongo are very sad. He's just like, it's this, you know, this happens, which is normal with big litters of puppies and not all the puppies survive. Um, but then, but Roger's like, just what if I just, you know, kind of like, I guess it's like a CPR thing where he's just kind of like rubbing the puppy um, in between the towel and his hands and the puppy, you know, survives. And so now we have 15 puppies and two Dalmatians and three humans living in this fucking townhouse <laughs> when i was like i said perdita has to be making money because two dalmatians alone you know how much food big dogs eat 15 puppies and a pregnant mom you know how prenatal care okay postnatal care but they have the puppies um and Cruella barges in again and she's like oh my god 15 puppies oh my god I'll buy the whole lot I'll pay you double triple and Perdita is like we're not selling the puppies we're gonna keep them all and she's like babe you don't even make that much money and I'm like okay well then what the hell does Perdita do anyway um oh, I don't know maybe Roger makes good money off jingle seeds and sold but um Cruella is just like you can't possibly keep 15 puppies and Honestly, I'm with her, but I still wouldn't sell it to her evil ass. Um, and so, you know, Roger, even though he's shaking in his boots, he stays up to Cruella and was like, we're not selling the puppies. You should leave. And Cruella's just like, I'm going to get revenge. So be it as it shall. And she leaves and slams the door. And so now we get a few months later and we get to see all the puppies. They're watching Thunderbolt. What the hell was the name of the show they were watching? <laughs> yeah, it's Thunderbolt, I yeah. think. Yeah, it's like Thunderbolt, like an old Western show of a dog chasing a horse thief. And the kids are engrossed in it, and you kind of get to see other little personalities. And then some of the names of the kids is like Patch and Lucky and, and Roly. And, you know, they got 15 puppies. I think it's like, I think it's what, 12 boys and like three girls or something like that. You can tell by their collars, the colors on their collars. But, you know, the kids watch their little late night television show um, and um, they need to be put to bed. So Pongo and Perdita can go on a W-A-L-K. <laughs> uh, the fact that that's what humans say to not get their dogs excited. Now it's what the dogs are saying not to get their kids excited was hilarious. Um, but, you know, the nanny puts the kids to bed. They put the kids to bed. Pongo, Perdita, Roger, and Nina go on a walk and as they're walking we get to see these bandits i guess they're you know professional thieves or whatever who are you know watching them walk into the park he's like oh now the house is alone and we can go you know rob this place and you're like what they're robbing the place for and you know it's horace and jasper the name of the burglars um it seems like they've been hired by cruella and so they knock on nanny the door nanny answers and they're like we're from the um we're from the inspection or the electric company and there's some ridiculous law in parliament that says we need to check your house in the middle of the night and nanny's like um not with the mr and mrs going y'all can go home and so um horace's giant ass bombards the door and they just kind of walk in <laughs> which was like so alarming they didn't even try to subdue nanny they just walked in walked upstairs nanny follows one of the burglars in there he shuts the door the other burglar puts all the puppies in a bag and they leave and when she's like oh my god I, 
And so Nanny's like, oh, oh my God, I guess I took the silver. She goes in the kitchen to find the dog bed empty and there are no puppy puppies. And so the next day, it's all over the papers that somebody stole 15 Dalmatian puppies from this house, you know, and Scotland Yard is on it. They put advertisements all over the place. Um, Roger immediately suspects it's Corella, but the police investigation goes nowhere because they have no evidence against her. Corella is looking at all of these pictures and papers in her bed um in her curlers um she looks very something like out of a nightmare with no hair <laughs> but she you know gets a call from roger or horace she talks about well the roger and horace call her and they're like we need the money we want half of it but she's like i'm not paying you shit before you get the job done and so we basically can assume now that corella wants the puppies because she wants to make them into a fucking coat um so scotland yard is going nowhere and so pongo is like okay the humans can't do anything so it's now the dog's turn so on their next walk pongo sends out a dog alert to the neighborhood right and the neighborhood i guess this this a uh, great dane named danny is just like okay cool i'll bust this 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 message out and it'll eventually you know go from dog to dog from town to town until we find the the kids and so pongo does this little send out danny hears it danny sends it out and as danny's sending out you actually get to see the dogs from the lady and the tramp which i don't know if y'all caught that you get to see tramp and the scottish terrier and the dogs that were in the pound so i thought that was a cool little um a cool little callback you should Easter, yeah, call yeah. back, whatever they call it. <laughs> call back. And so they uh, they called it the Twilight Bark Gossip Chain. And so as they continue to forward this message all across London into the countryside, it gets to West, with, with Marsh Green, where an old bloodhound passes it on to a sheepdog that they call Colonel, right? And so um, there's this dog called Colonel, his Sergeant Tibbs, and then there's a horse, right? And so they were talking, there's like, they fig- they finally decode the message. For a man named Colonel to be the highest, not a man, a dog named Colonel to be the highest ranking little sheepdog in this area, that man can't decode a message to save nobody's life. <laughs> um, they finally get the message that there are 15 Dalmatian puppies missing. Um, and so they hear this, and Tibbs is like, well, there is smoke coming out of the old DeVille place, so maybe we should go check there. And so Tibbs and the colonel go there, and they find that not only... They go into this house, and not only do they find Jasper and the 15 missing puppies, there are... What is what is 99 minus 15? There are other um, 84 damages there, and so they send word back on the Bark Gossip to London that says that the puppies have been found... Um, and so Pongo and Perdita hear that and they leave through the back window on a long cross country cross country journey to towards Suffolk's where the puppies are. So, um they make their way to Suffolk folk. I don't know how to pronounce all these England towns. <laughs> um so Cruella tells the Bandon brothers Jasper and Horace that the police are on the trail so y'all got to skin and kill these dogs now before they come and get us and so as the brothers are being distracted by a TV program Tibbs the cat helps the puppies escape through a hole in the wall um when the Bandon brothers finally go to kill the dogs they chase them around the house they have this little chase scene um i feel bad for tips because trying to get 99 as somebody who wants to be a teacher the idea of trying to get 99 kids to cooperate <laughs> like that it just sounds like a lot but you know he's able to do it for a certain amount of time before they get cornered again um the colonel basically meets up with pongo and perdita once they finally get there because they you know through the other dogs they you know find their way to the old deville house and just when they're about to attack the mom and dad come to you know um collect they attack the um <clears throat> bandon brothers um destroying a part of the house where the kids can flee and so as they do this uh they subdue them long enough that they can get to where the colonel is um at their home farm 
only to discover not only do they have their 15 kids with them, they have 84 more puppies. And so Pongo producers like, we can't leave these puppies. We can't leave these kids here. And so they're like, okay, we're going to have to take everybody. We have to get back to London somehow. But we're going to take everybody and we're going to go to London. Again, a feat. <laughs> Upon, um, they, when they get to the farm and they hear from Tibbs that Cruella was going to make coats out of them, um, that's when they agree to take all the puppies home. So the, they, the Dalmatians, they all start this like long homeward trek um, away from the Bandon brothers. Uh, all the water is turning the ice. So they, they use the creek to avoid leaving tracks. And it's a, you know, it's cold and it's winter. And, you know, they're trepping through all of the snow and the kids are tired. But luckily they make it with everybody in a tow to um, a dairy farm where a, a colleague who was also part of the Twilight Bark system um, gives them a warm place to rest and food. And then the kids, you know, um, get to nurse from the cows there. Um, so after they recuperate there, they start, they're like, okay, we got to get to Dinsford where they'll meet a Labrador who is going to help them get to London. So all the while they're doing this, um, the thieves and Cruella are tracking them down by car. So they've got to like erase their dog tracks but it's not easy with 101 dogs moving in a pack like that and so when they get to Dinsford they decide to cover themselves and sit to erase all of their spots to basically kind of cross the street into this truck trying not to gather the attention of the evildoers who are on the street looking for them and so they finally get into the van and Cruella and her I don't know what fucking car this is but whatever technology it's got, y'all should use it in military. Because when I tell you she done smashed this car and drove it on ice and drove it off mountains <laughs> and it was still <laughs> it was still moving as it chased this van off like this through these like um I guess mountainous roads, but the car finally crashed. The car finally crashes and the vehicles um finally gets to London. Um in you know, Cruella and Jasper and Horace um, all survive, but they're pissed off. But they get to London, and, you know, Nanny's sad, and the Radcliffe's are sad, and they're like, this is not a fun Christmas. You know, Roger's like, I can't believe Pongo and Perdita would run away like that. And Nanny's like, well, it's all my fault because we lost the puppies. And then they hear barking, and then the house is suddenly filled with dogs, which is a nightmare, oh my God. Covered in soot. 101 dogs covered in soot just in my house. Carpet. But <laughs> what'd you say? The carpet. Now I gotta Oof. <sighs> But I guess with the money they made from um Roger's new radio hit, it don't even matter. They get their dogs back. They're like, there's 101 of them. We're gonna buy a, a Dalmatian plantation in the country. And basically everybody lives in blissful happiness. Um, and that's the end of the movie. What were your thoughts and feelings as the movie ended? <laughs> um, I was like, that's enjoyable. This is the fourth, um, animal-based Disney movie we've watched, and I think this mm-hmm. is my favorite out of the four. Mm. What about you, Corey? Yeah, I noticed that it like went by really quickly, and it was really like an enjoyable movie. Like, all mm-hmm. the other Disney movies that we've watched, there have been times where I was, like, nitpicking at it. But this one, I was able to just sit down and actually, like, have a good time watching it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Uh, Yeah, I, I, it was, like, the first non-musical I think we've seen. So, I was mm-hmm. pleasantly surprised. Um, yeah, and I also think that the, um, the, it was pretty short, which I appreciated. So, it never, it never really dragged. So, I enjoyed it. Yes, yes. Um, same. I feel like it was, it was one of those movies where it was so focused on the story that there wasn't a lot of outside influence from the writers or producers that felt biased or stereotypical. And like, how stereotypical could you get by talking about dogs? (laughs) So... I felt like the subject matter was an easy watch. It feels like we're finally kicking into what current Disney is, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, or like what the basis of what current Disney films are, if that makes sense. It's more about, um, I don't know. I feel like this was one of the first ones that didn't really have a message. 
like we get into more message type Disney films late in the 2000s. But like I was saying, it was just like a comfortable, fast watch. And there wasn't room for like error, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, interesting production facts. Uh, as always, we have a Mental Floss article by our girl Stacey Conrad, a DisneyDiary.com article by Stephen Libman, Pixie Dust Savings article by April, and then a ThemeParksBuzz.Webly.com article by J.M. Parker. So, remember all that money I talked about? Um, that 100 Dalmatians grossed? 100 mm-hmm. Dalmatians is what saved Disney's ass. Um, I think we talked about this last time, but Sleeping Beauty was a not good at the box office <laughs> it did not do well um but 100 on one dime just did great it didn't gross so much money that it revived disney which is a blessing <laughs> i guess of some sorts because disney was on its last legs i guess i'm guessing in like the what the late 50s the early 60s like if they hadn't done 101 Dalmatians, I do wonder what would have been the projection of the company. But because they did it, they made enough money to continue to do films. So um, the book author, Dodie Smith, has actual Dalmatians herself. Some sources of say it's Pody, others say it's Pongo. And this story was actually something that happened to her. Her dog gave birth to 15 puppies. And so that's kind of how our inspiration for the novel, the idea for the novel, um, Smith said, came from one of one of her friends, witnessed Smith's Dalmatian and said, those dogs would make a lovely fur coat. I hope you stop being friends with that person after they said that. <laughs> um, some, some fun statistics. Of course, you're seeing spots. There are a lot of them in the movie. There are 6 million four hundred sixty nine hundred thousand nine hundred and fifty two uh spots over one over 100k frames to be exact pongo has 72 spots Perdita has 68 and the rest belong to the puppies the creative team wanted the driving scenes as well as possible so they created cardboard cars that were filmed driving around using um geography the process that were added to the already finished backgrounds um 800 gallons of paint were used in producing the animation cells and background that's enough to cover 15 football fields um there's not a lot of names even though there's 99 puppies only about 15 of the pups have names uh some that were mentioned in the film are, are lucky and raleigh roly roly patch penny pepper freckles um 101 Dimensions was the first feature to actually use Xerox technology to transfer drawing cells, um, saving a lot of time, money, and hands. This is Xerox style is what gives the film its sketched look as opposed to the crisp lines seen in earlier Disney feature films. Um, Walt reportedly disliked the scratchy aesthetic. I actually enjoyed it. I thought it makes yeah, it I a very it unique... Nice. Right. I thought it looked very unique. It didn't feel like we were watching moving paintings as like the last seven films. Um, I thought that was a really cool style. I think they continue that in Aristocrats too. Um, it just kind of makes it feel like um, like it's straight off of a comic strip. Yeah. Which yeah. I thought was or really a newspaper. cool. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, like a newspaper. Honestly, I kind of wish Disney would have stuck with this art. Like this, the way they drew humans. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, yes. they kind of stopped the way drawing they humans drew, this way. The way they draw humans now, they all look the same. Um, yeah. It's a very uh, interesting, um, as we get to see, like, even if we don't know a lot about drawing, you can definitely see the different styles of the different people who are in charge. But Walt was definitely, I guess, a romantic at heart who wanted all of his movies to be, like, paintings and shit. And I just think that... If they had done 100 Dalmatians and drew it like they did Bambi, it wouldn't have been as fun. That's true. It wouldn't have had that, like, I don't know how to put it. Because Bambi's more, like, artsy, like an art project. Yes. This feels less like it's taking itself less serious, maybe? Yes. It makes it fun. I feel like the unfinished lines of the Xerox is just kind of makes... It kind of gives you into that world where I'm like, oh yeah, of course it's just through a dog's perspectives. You know, instead of it making it look like how humans see the world, kind of. It's kind of the kind of unfinished touch to it. Also, it kind of matches with the town they were in, in London, England in the 60s. Like, 
that wasn't I th- like the most pristine looking place in the world, and so I felt like it really matched the background and how they were telling the story. So I'm glad Walt's um, dislike for it didn't change the way they drew it. Um, although she's known as one of the most evil villains in history, Cruella Deville shares her voice with a much more benign character. It's the narrator of Cinderella, who's radio star, radio star Betty Lou Garrison, who's the actress behind it. The um, Betty Lou Garrison, and then I'm pretty sure there was some other. I couldn't really find a lot of. Well, I think that the actress for these were mostly like Australian. Like Rob Taylor, the voice for Pongo, was an Australian actor. Betty Lou Garrison is an American actress, which is interesting. She doesn't have... I don't remember Quella having a strong British accent. Mm. But, um... Mary Wicks is uh, Quella's live-action model. Um, Ben Wright as Roger Radcliffe was also the British-American actor. So I feel like it was interesting that they got like more a lot of British-American people to do this instead of having American people faking British accents. Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. often the better. Um, um, according to the voice actress Lisa Davis, uh, Walt Disney took Cruella's look from a certain famous Hungarian named Zaza Gabar, was very popular at the time. She says was famous for loving fur coats and wearing fur, and he thought he might give her a Zazar Gabar touch. Though Davis made use of her exceptional Zazar impression to read for Coella, she felt that she was better suited for the role of Anita. Walt listened to her read some of Alita's nights and ultimately agreed that it was perfect. So Lisa Davis, I think, is the voice of uh, Anita. Yes, she's Anita Radcliffe. But what's also interesting, there's a lot of different sources that talk about the inspiration for Coella because it also says that... um, Mark Davis, who was the sole animator for Cruella DeVille, uh, used three famous actresses, which is Betty Davis and Rosalind Russell, and then Tallulah Bankhead. So, I mean, I'm guessing between these, like, four women, they kind of created the character of Cruella, which I don't know if that's a... I mean, I guess that's just the inspiration for it, um, which is really interesting, especially when you look at pictures of all these different women. They all kind of have that 60s, like, thin eyebrows and plump lips, especially Tallulah Bankhead. And so, um, and then using, what is her name? Mary Wikes as a live-action model. You kind of see where they were going with it. Um, Let's see, the dogs aren't actually white. They are very light gray. White would have been too bright on screen, and they wouldn't have worked well with the snowy scenes. Um, Disney Feature Animation later adopted the Twilight Bark as the name of their internal newsletter. Um, the scene in which Pongo and Perdina exchanged wedding vows was actually controversial. Um, the censor board uh, actually warned Disney that the scene might offend some religious audiences as if the dogs repeated the exact same words as the solemn religious ceremony. So it was reworked to be less religious and the couple just dressed in some form of wear. I actually clocked that when we were watching, mm-hmm. when I was watching the film, I was like, their wedding is so boring. Yeah, <laughs> it was like... there, right? It was just literally <laughs> it's the exact yeah. opposite of the live action because I watched the live yeah. action and they have a nice ass wedding. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a very weird choice. I were like, at first I was like, are they shacking up? Are they just getting like hitched? I was like, man, I'm like, maybe everyone doesn't want a big wedding. But I was like, assuming that these people, see how in love they were the rest of the film. I was like, that was weird. Um, Disney assigned Bill Peets to write the story. Um, Marking it the first time that the story for a Disney animated film was written by a single person, which is interesting. In his biography, Pete was tasked by Disney to write a detailed screenplay first by storyboarding and because pete never used never used never learned how to use a typewriter he wrote the initial draft by hand on legal paper (laughs) that's rough imagine if water spilled on that if (laughs) when i saw this i said i would have a panic attack on legal paper is somebody like i hope somebody's just like every time he finishes a couple pages it's just typing it because like (laughs) that sounds insane um 
It is also said that Glenn Close, uh, the actress who plays in the live action adaptation of Cruella, didn't actually want to do it when the producers brought it to her because she was too busy with Broadway. But she eventually took on the role. Um, another actress that declined was Sir, Sojourn, mm, Sojourner Weaver. Sojourner, S-I-G-O-U-R-N-E-Y. Oh, Sigourney yes. Weaver? Sigourney Weaver, yes, who had another movie in mind. And then actress Kathy Morati tried getting the role, but Disney deemed her too scary for a kid's movie. <laughs> um, and then I thought this was interesting because I was wondering this as um, Disney legend Clarence Nash, who was the voice of Donald, was the one who created all of the dog barks in the movie. That was so interesting to me. I said, you mean one man just sat in a booth and just... Confused by what you mean created. <laughs> he just made the sounds? I guess so. I guess so. I probably should look more into that, but I was just like, one man? Because I was wondering... Because the barks don't sound like real... Do- well, some of them sound like real dog barks. But I was just like, where did they get all of these distinct sounding barks from? I guess they just showed him the pictures of the characters. It's just like, we need a bark for this dog. And he's like, all right. <laughs> so yeah, those were interesting production facts for 101 Dalmatians. I'm so interested because there's not as much drama as it was in the beginning of Disney. But I do find how they make these movies very interesting especially in the 60s again i think the xerox technology made this movie stand out to me it made it very pretty and so i'm interested to see how how the innovations in disney also influenced other movies at the time because now i want to look up other animated movies that were in the 60s did they start using xerox technology after this as well mm-hmm. i think they did because i'm they thinking probably about jungle did, book yeah. I'm yeah. thinking about yeah. I think surprised. they probably did. I wonder if under other companies adopted the technology though too as well. So mm-hmm. that was interesting. Interesting. Jesus Christ! I can't talk today. That was interesting production facts with me, and now we're moving on to music with Mia. Okay. Cool. Cool. So, um, since this movie is not a musical, I was going into this thinking I wouldn't have much to talk about, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of shocked that there's almost more information on this movie versus the actual musicals we've covered like Mm. i found more information on this than bambi and i'm like what Mm. make that make sense i (laughs) why okay so um the main writer pete who we mentioned before he used like an old theater trick to say like okay instead of making it um like the character start to sing will make the main character a singer songwriter <laughs> so that makes it easy for like the music to be incorporated in the plot um mm, and I not feel out that. of place yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's so people won't the audience won't think about it as like music's wise music here um it's a part of his job right so mm-hmm. but this movie is not technically a musical even though there are musical numbers kind of like when i saw the track list that there were 20 songs i'm like 20 where i i was watching this i was not hearing 20 songs so i was very confused um but a lot of them some of them are like snippets and instrumental parts not like full Mm -hmm. musical numbers um it was recorded on october 5th through 6th in 1960 and this all the songs were written by george bruns and mel levin um it, and like honestly this was shocking to me as well it's one of the few disney older disney movies pre-19 like pre-19 i guess 65 that has a separate wikipedia page for its soundtrack because like keep in mind mm. dumbo did not like lady and the tramp did not this was the first movie i was like y'all have a page for the soundtrack <laughs> I, I was just shocked also my sources come from imdb um cartoonresearch.com and the two wikipedia pages in the disney wiki as well but i was shocked um usually they'll put all the information for the soundtracks on the same page as the movie for like a disney movie that's popular like snow white had the soundtrack on one page i believe this i was like y'all gave it a separate wikipedia page what for what um but uh 
Mel Levin composed the lyrics and the music. Um, Levin was someone who had composed songs for the UPA Animation Studio, which animators who transferred to work at Disney had recommended him to Walt. So this was like the first time he'd worked with Disney. Um, the Sherman Brothers wrote a song titled 101 Dalmatians, but it was not used in the film. I tried to look around to find what this song was and where it exists. Because usually songs that get cut like this are like songs that could be somewhat good or that they could have like done well and I kind of always want to hear like what they would have sounded like because this would have been the title song and they said according to like a source um it's a book I believe it said that this was released on a soundtrack but I tried to find the soundtrack could not I might have to do more digging if anybody if y'all have a link anybody listening has a link or like has this song please send it because I'm very curious to see if it's good but the Sherman brothers were famous so they they wrote many famous songs so I wonder how it would sound in context to this um but the most well-known song from this soundtrack is Cruella DeVille it's kind of the only song that really gets like a performance um yeah it's like you break out into song we're singing it proper musical number that Mm -hmm. happens in this movie um and so I feel like this movie, I don't know if it's in the live action, but this was like the one song that kind of is known when people think of this movie, if people think of the soundtrack at all. Um, um, This song was performed by Bill Lee, who's voicing Roger. Um, He also, the songwriter Mel Levin wrote several additional songs for it, including Don't Buy a Parrot from a Sailor. Um, A lot of these songs that were meant to be a part of it but I believe they were cut out um and as far as I can tell and according to the sources this movie the soundtrack this music was not the key thing that people took away from this so there's not much actually Mm -hmm. written so it's like people talk about the soundtrack but they're not really talking about the soundtrack if that makes sense like none of the people in their reviews are like oh the songs are so great because that's usually like a, a disclaimer that that critics back from back in the day will say for a lot of older disney films like oh i love pinocchio this song was great like this song was great but in a lot of the reviews i've read for this they just say oh uh the plot was great the characters they don't really mention the music for this um and i don't Mm -hmm. think it won any awards or has gotten on any lists of like greatest songs of all time um and this is just a random note for me dalmatian plantation um <laughs> girl the when, idea of this excuse when me he started what? Singing that, i said we were doing so good <laughs> right i was like and time to cut this off it's the six i can tell it's the 60s what's what's who why what where when how um very uncomfortable um but i yeah, Corella Deville is the only song that gets like a full musical number. I pretend like Dalmatian Plantation does not exist. Um, yeah, for me, this soundtrack was very forgettable. Not gonna lie. Um, I don't know how how y'all felt about if you remembered any songs from this or the music. I still to this day bust out in Corella i like that song so much i feel like it's just trapped in my memory i feel like my mind remembers music more than it does anything else and so just like for me with lady and the tramp he's a tramp that like jazzy kind of like something that my grandmother probably could have listened to when she was 20 years old um music is kind of always stuck in my head wherever i hear it so Mm. i love that song and um do I go look for it? No. Do I still hum it <laughs> randomly on a like Tuesday afternoon? Sure. So yeah, the music, that's the only song that I remember though. Cause it's, yeah. it really is not a musical driven movie. Yeah. And I feel like this, that Corella the Vilda song is in a weird place in the Disney canon because it's not at the ubiquity of like a, when you wish upon a star, but I feel like people know it once you remind them of it. But I don't think it's one of those songs that people think, oh, this is one of the best Disney songs ever. But people, it's like it's there in the public's knowledge, but it's like in the back of people's minds, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, and I also think if you grew up, like I, I could be just that the nostalgia is not there because I didn't really grow up with this movie. So I've heard this song, um, but I don't have any like attachment to it. So it could be clouding my vi- my like non-biased uh opinion of it if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but um 
But I would say that the live actions maybe have given the music more life um, because this is one of the older Disney movies that had a live action before the live action thing was a thing. I can't um, remember if there was music in the live action. Was it? Mm. I don't think no, so. I don't remember any music, and I also don't remember the dogs talking. In the they don't. They action. don't talk in yeah. the live oh, action yeah. at all. Oh, that's yeah. true. The live action is solely told from. It's like a very realistic dog movie. Yeah, the dogs don't talk. They just do things. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if it's like in the back. Excuse me. If like it's in the background or like just uh, instrumental. Yeah, it might be. We probably didn't notice because it's really not that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. really not that iconic whatsoever. But when you mentioned that making Roger a musician really did incorporate music, I was like, that was because if he had bust out into song and wasn't a musician, I would have been like, that was weird. That's weird. Exactly. <laughs> that was weird. But that's a very clever storytelling technique. If you want to, like, I've, I wonder. Mm. I can't say this is when they start moving. Disney never w- moves away from music. I feel like music has always been an essential to Disney movies. But this is yeah. one of those ones where it's not like a core of the story. Mm-hmm. Nor the does music it move doesn't the, move the narrative. Yeah. It doesn't, yeah. It doesn't whatsoever. Nor does it lend to the thoughts of characters like traditional musicals do. Because that's what musicals do. They like, they say stuff and then you're supposed to hear the song and it's supposed to hit, hit an emotional chord. And like traditional musicals, it's supposed to like tell about like the inner thoughts of characters and stuff like that. So like, um, this is really interesting use of music in a Disney film. Mm-hmm. It's like the first Disney movie that I feel like they've done that's like music is passive. Mm-hmm. and not active it's not the center of the story nor is it necessary it's kind of like an extra it's not mm. what you're there to see yeah not at all <laughs> um thank you yeah we're gonna move move on to origins and similar stories with Marin. okay so <clears throat> My sources were OuterWriterBooks.com and the one-on-one Dominations audiobook on YouTube. So mm-hmm. you said before, the animation and live-action Disney films are based off the book One-on-One Dalmatians, or also known as The Great Dog Robbery, written by Dottie Smith. Um, uh, when it comes to variations between the book and the film, there isn't much, but um, in the book, Roger and Anita are called the Dearlies. Um Mm-hmm. Ardita is called Mrs. because there's another dog that the Dearlies adopt who is called Perdita to provide milk for their puppies because they think it would be too much for um, Mrs. since she just had 15 for her to provide oh. um, milk for all of them. Um, Cruella is actually married um, to in the book to a furrier who is a craftsman who who buys and prepares various animal skins for leather or fur. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the one-on-one Dalmatians, it's one-on-one because they saved 97 puppies. You have Pongo, Mrs. and Perdita that make a hundred. And then at the end of the book, Perdita, um, re- reunites with a male Dem- Dalmatian. That's the father to her kids that she also reunites with. So that's why it's one-on-one. And mm. earlier you were talking about how, um, you don't understand how they're able to afford everything. Um, and like the houses but in the book um roger is an arithmetic who saves the government from their debt and they say that he doesn't have to pay income tax and give him a small house and that's why he lives in there and then at the very end he does it again and they give him money and then he moves to a big bigger house oh yeah he's so not an arithmetic And then when it comes to similar stories, there aren't any variations to the Dalmatian stories, only sequels. You have one-on-one Dalmatian, Patches, London Adventure, and the live-action one-on-one Dalmatians, and the sequel to that, one of two Dalmatians. But you also have um, the 2021 Cruella film, which tells the origin story of Cruella DeVille. Did anybody watch that? I did. Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I have to agree. It was pretty good. Aren't they supposed to be making it too? Oh, I have, I have no idea. Mm, okay. I don't. Okay. The way it ended, I don't think there would be a sequel because it was pretty like just done. 
Mm. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Thank you, Marion. We're going to move on to critiques and analyses with Corey. Okay, so the main critique of this movie, which I never thought about before. So Disney inadvertently caused the deaths of hundreds of Dalmatians um, because of this movie. Oh, my God. Are you yeah. what? Yeah. Like because of this movie, there is a a whole thing that developed called Dalmatian syndrome, and basically what that is is like. Oh, and by the way, the source is media influence on pet owners by Shati Speaks from Soapboxy. Uh, the site, uh, the article is written October twenty twenty, and basically she did like some research into the syndrome. But Dalmatian syndrome, one hundred and one Dalmatian syndrome, is like the sudden spike, and adoptions of the aforementioned breed after like the numerous releases of the disney film so Mm -hmm. they had the animated movie then they re-released it in 1985 and then once Mm -hmm. again in 1991 so after every release there was like a huge spike in dalmatian adoptions and if you don't know dalmatians are one of those dog breeds that are very hard to manage if you're not like Mm -hmm. a you don't train them well you know they're kind of high energy yeah very high energy very intelligent so you have to keep them entertained constantly and for example um after the re-releases of the film both in 1985 and 1991 uh, between both of the re-releases the number of registered dalmatians in the american kennel club akc skyrocketed from 8200 how it was originally to 43,000. oh Oh my god (laughs) Just from like this, the interest in Dalmatians because of this movie. So, then another phenomenon that was noticed is that, like, after the interest of this movie died down, like, maybe like six months after it came out, the interest in the dog nosedive like severely. And thousands and thousands of these dogs ended up in kennels. And because there were so many of them, a lot of them ended up in kill shelters where unfortunately many of the dogs had to be euthanized because there were so many. Um, and so the critique that um, Shati gave in her article was like, well, I don't know if this really is a critique, a critique, but she pointed out, it's like, it's not really the responsibility of Disney to educate new pet owners, but right. because of this, in partnership with the Dalmatian Club of America, which is like a um, kennel club for that specific breed and the Humane Society, they began putting disclaimers about thoroughly researching the breed of your dog before purchasing when they released 102 Dalmatians. And looking through this occurrence, this was not the only time this has happened. So a very similar thing happened to Clownfish after Finding Nemo. Um, so because of clowning... I'm, because of Finding Nemo, there was a peaked interest in clownfish, and not many people know how to take care of saltwater animals, so of course, many people took them out of their habitat, um, and then the population of clownfish has been severely disrupted because of this movie. That's yeah, <laughs> it's very, and it, it's not just clownfish, and it's not just Disney that does this, like, right. after G-Force, guinea pigs, you know... People kept buying guinea pigs, not knowing how to take care of them. Wow. Um, same thing happened with Great Danes, iguanas. It's like a, a different, a bunch of different animals this has happened with. And so aside from the controversies, controversy with the animals, um, mm-hmm. the film generally received very positive critiques and very positive reviews. It has a 98% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, which is extremely high. Mm-hmm. Very, very high. Um, editor Olivia Rutigliano, no, that's mm-hmm. not how you say that, Rutigliano, there you go, um, of Crime Reads, well, she highlighted that this movie is actually a crime movie, which I was like, you're right, because it's about somebody <laughs> it's a crime movie. <laughs> yeah, but she wrote that this film is a timeless joy and an aesthetic marvel, and throughout her article, she was constantly praising the film's rewatchability in modern times and the technical achievements it made when it was created. Yeah, that is sad. I hate humans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hate humans so much. Please do not get a pet animal without thoroughly researching them. You know, that always kind of, we were just talking about how I'm a planner. Do you know what I had to do to get Casanova? I had to keep my room clean for a month and do a full-on presentation about dash hounds before I can get a dog. 
I think that happened a lot during the pandemic too, like where people just went out and like got dogs yeah. without really like heavily like researching. And like a lot of dogs ended up like back in the pound after that because like dogs are like people don't realize what dogs are they're like babies. You have to take care of them like quite often. Really? Like your job yeah. as a parent is to make sure your kid doesn't die. Your job as a dog owner is to make sure your dog doesn't die. They're gonna test you. <laughs> yeah. They're, They're gonna, gonna try to eat you. every single thing you leave on the floor. If oh your dog God. is big enough, it will be able to <laughs> reach onto the counter. So Right. Yeah. Castle was mad at me now because I've been keeping this cone on here for two weeks. Well I'm sorry, sir. You're allergic <laughs> to pollen and you just like to bite your skin off until it bleeds. So I gotta make the, sure you don't the way do that. my dog looks at me when when I when I'm eating chocolate and I won't give it to him and I have to explain to him several times that you will die you if you eat chocolate this. you you are oh you will God. literally die but like literally first of all I love black pet owners because we talk to our dogs like they're people because <laughs> like I will like be eating something I'm like this is not for you Casanova you know because he likes to do that with my mom and my mom was like well can I give him this I'm like no are you going to f- clean up his poop or throw up if he throws mm-hmm. up because you gave him something he can't have like oh my god <laughs> but no yeah it's owning a dog owning a pet in general is a huge tax and if you're not prepared for it please don't do that shit on a whim um but yeah that was uh I feel like there were only two moments in this movie where I was like, this is definitely made in the 60s. It was the Dalmatian Plantation song. Also, the cartoon they were fucking watching with the flowers that looked like they were in blackface is a Disney um, creation, of course. And it was so funny because like all the facts I looked up, they were like, yeah, did y'all see that this little Disney thing about springtime was like on television? It's such a cool little Easter egg. I was like, you mean the blackface flowers? Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> What they don't uh, tell you about early cartoons back in the 20s and teens, that they were all based on minstrelsy. So every famous, like, Mickey, yes, Mickey, yes, Donald and Goofy, like, they were all based on, like, minstrelsy and blackface characters, so. Yeah. So, you know, we always talk about lasting impacts. Corey brought us a lot of lasting impacts. Um, I definitely think the use of Xerox technology is probably the bigger impact. Well, one of the big impacts that this movie has and then all the money it made when they calculated this shit for inflation this said 909 million dollars i don't know if that's right it was on wikipedia but i was like damn <laughs> but then i was like how would they make that much money but then Corey said they really re-released it like twice so of course it made that much yeah money. Mm-hmm. um but yeah i don't think this is i'm i will show this movie to my kids i don't think this movie affects children in a bad way i think it's a very great movie to start um lessons about healthy consumption in a capitalist society (laughs) if we're going that deep like because the idea of a woman being like i'm going to buy your 50 i'm going to buy a hundred puppies to create a fur coat in itself is like very a big monster of capitalism and just like humans will do what they want to if they can so, uh, like, I guess that's the further implication of the movie. But I feel like it's a fun, it's a, it, again, this is one of the first movies where we've watched, we've all collectively watched and all collectively said we can just watch it and enjoy the movie for what it was. Um, also, I would like to say the voice actor for Pongo has a better voice than the voice actor for Roger. When I was listening <laughs> to I was like, this man's voice is noise? I was like, that's the dog? <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> okay baby uh but yeah uh marion what do you give 100 dimensions one out of ten mm. or any any other uh last opinions oh well i would i think i would rather show the live action because i mm. i know the cruella is a villain and she rightfully is but she glenn close in the live action is a bad bitch i'm sorry she i is. watched it again i even prefer her over emma stone's one Mm-hmm. oh of course yeah i probably would show them the live action instead um but i would rate this movie like a seven out of ten okay what about you Corey? i give it like an eight out of half out of eight and a half out of ten of course like i'm biased because i really like dogs <laughs> so i really enjoyed this movie and like i feel like this is one of like the better disney movies that we've watched there wasn't anything that like immediately bothered me like you mentioned except for like stuff i didn't really notice like the blackface cartoons of course they had to throw that in there um but yeah and i definitely would like 
show this to children like they'll be, be able to watch this and enjoy it it doesn't really have like a message yeah. so it's fine yeah well what about you Nia? Mm, i liked it um i wouldn't say it's my favorite but mm-hmm. i think it's like objectively the best storytelling least boring like more action based mm-hmm. it'll keep you interested more so i definitely would show this to my kids um but um i would give it like a seven um yet again i'm i feel like all the boxes are ticked for this movie but for some reason it just doesn't click with me maybe it is mm-hmm. because i like the music in like other disney movies and i don't realize i do but um <laughs> or like the whimsy because this is based in regular london like there's nothing really how do i put this it's not a fantasy even though it is right. a fantasy it's not like prince princess like i don't know whimsical high fantasy whatever yeah. so um i guess the magic is there but it's a different type of magic it feels like you know what this feels like have y'all seen curious george or watched read the book yes mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it mm-hmm. feels like that it feels very like children's book mm-hmm. if that yeah. makes sense it feels like the audience they made this for was kids for the yeah. first time in a while like you know it's not a bad about, thing though it's yeah. not it's not i think kids movies are great a lot of them are great but like i feel like disney was on the fence about who their audience is i feel like they always say family but they weren't to me a lot of their shit just came off artsy and i'm like there's no way my child is gonna watch bambi all the way through <laughs> right the time period there was released they probably would since nothing else they probably would you're like right that. you're right you're right that's yeah you're right because it's animated and it's not real people mm-hmm. um but again yeah i definitely i give it an eight again i'm with Corey. i love i love dogs <laughs> so watching honestly i was squealing just watching we got to see the puppies for the first time i was like look at their little tails and <laughs> all the spots um also i just keep thinking like if i was a parent i wouldn't mind if my kids wanted to watch this a hundred times mm-hmm. that's always what i think about sometimes too like if they wanted to put this on repeat, I wouldn't mind it. I really do love the song, um, Cruella DeVille, so I don't mind that either. Um, I like the way it looks. I think it's a, a, a good, I think it's a solid movie. It's not boring. It's not cinematic masterpiece, but it's it's fun. And it it does what it needs to do for an hour. Mm-hmm. And letting your brain like rest without overworking it. Which is, I think, is what most children's movies aim for, which is cool. Yes. Yeah. So, definitely an eight for me. Um, our next movie is The Sword and the Stone. Have y'all seen The Sword and the Stone? No. no. I've never heard of it. You know what's oh. crazy? I only know about this because of Kingdom Hearts. And, but ah. like, like, this is, we're, we're starting to get into Disney's like broke era, <laughs> bankrupt era. I don't know if this things is were broke rough. era. They just made so much money with, with I don't know. Well, I guess it's Wait, broke era. I don't know. I feel like this is them. Well, no, they didn't start releasing shit to VHS for a while. I don't know what era this is. I guess it might be broke era. Yeah, this movie did it flop. Ooh, not really flop. It kind of just. Hmm. It just exists. <laughs> yeah, it's not a movie that people will be like, unless you were a part of like a crowd who loved fantasy. You probably didn't think of the Sword of the Stone like that. Yeah. But now we're getting into the era where Disney was releasing movies more frequently. Mm-hmm. It was like every three years. Now like four and eight. <laughs> yeah. So this will be interesting. The Sword of the Stone. Is this the last movie that Disney was a part of? Like this, the Walt that he was really no okay jungle book so which is in 68 okay, so not jungle book is 67 oh, okay. okay yeah when did walt die walt 67 uh, 67 oh. 66 <laughs> not me realizing. not dying to say my mother was born okay not me realizing oh, no. that the reason he wasn't a part of it was because he died i just thought he passed <laughs> out <laughs> not he passed away oh, yeah oh walt would never give up 
you're power. right. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> so right. Power willingly. <laughs> oh, but what's also interesting is the guy who wrote 101 Dalmatians is also the guy who's going to write Soldiers of Stone. So we might still get oh. a good script. Maybe. Or something that's just very different. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. What's after Sword in the Stone? We're not. Is the Aristocats? Jungle like Book. The 70s? That's all. Oh, Jungle wait, Book. What? Right after? Yeah. Sword of Stone, Jungle Book, and then the Aristocrats. Oh, wow. They all have the same director, Wolfgang. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Damn. Wolfgang was here for a while. Mm. Like, but yeah, we're going to hit, like, it's like we're going to hit a big movie because we'll hit Jungle Book and then we're doing Aristocrats, Robin Hood, Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Oh, Rescuers, man. Fox and the Hound. We hit like a lot, a lot of the the minor ones, and then we're back with Little Mermaid. Mm. Yeah, the pre-Renaissance yeah. era. Yeah, then we hit Renaissance, baby, and it's Beauty of the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, Hunchback, oh. of the God, Hercules, Mulan, Tarzan. Oh shit! Oh wow! <laughs> All back to back. All back to back. So if you guys want to hear us, um, get to the Renaissance of. We oh shit we'll definitely get to those before the end of the year, um, but uh, if you want to hear all of our opinions about these Disney classics, make sure you have your notifications on and come back with us and check in on us every week. You can come talk to us about One Hundred One Dimensions or any other Disney movie on uh, Twitter at commented at TikTok at commented podcast or come join our Discord and chit chat with us there. Um, we are having people joining all the time and it's so much fun um also again if you enjoyed this episode leave us a five-star review on spotify or apple Podcasts or wherever you listen um but until next time i'm tori i'm Marin. i'm mia and i'm decoria bye-bye Aww.